185 to 75. That's the Jets' season score right now. That's what equates to 0 and 6. Think about how bad that score is. Think about how bad a team has to be to be outscored 185 to 75. And statistically, the worst offense in the the National Football League. And I, I generally don't obsess over the yardage rankings, offensively or defensively. Obviously, they're telling and meaningful, but I don't think it's always indicative of exactly how good or bad your team is. Like in 2009 and 2010, when Rex Ryan was always so focused on being the number one ranked defense in terms of yards given up, I always I hated how much he how much stock he put into that. They were a fantastic defense those years, but create some more turnovers, get to the quarterback, get a big stop late in the fourth quarter. Then maybe you could be as great as Rex claimed that they were those years. But it takes a combination of stats and the eye test to give a legitimate assessment of how good or bad a player or a team is. And in the case of the 2020 New York Jets, they fail miserably in both measurements. They are the the worst offense in football on paper, and they are without question the worst offense in football via the eye test. And, and let's not forget that we were saying similar things about the Jets at this point last year. They were 1-7. People were already getting sick of Gase in his first season as the head coach of the Jets. And if it wasn't for Darnold's good performance against the Dallas Cowboys in that stretch, in that eight-game stretch, I, I think everybody would have been on board and recognizing a lot sooner that Gase somehow sold himself as an offensive genius and developer of young quarterbacks, even though it was obvious that it was all fraudulent. He didn't develop Brian Tannehill, who, let's face it, at this point, after back-to-back 40-point games and seven touchdowns in five days and the Titans at 5-0 and right now, he's a legitimate MVP candidate. He didn't develop Ryan Tannehill. He hasn't developed Sam Darnold. And you look at these offensive rankings for Gase since he had Peyton Manning as his quarterback with the Broncos in, in 2014. In 2015, Gase's offense with the Bears ranked 23rd. In 2016, Gase's offense with the Dolphins, his first season as head coach, ranked a very impressive 17th. So the genius was on full display that year, 17th. But then here's where it really takes a turn. In in 2017, Gase's offense with the Dolphins was 28th. In 2018, it was 30th, and that earned him the uh, firing by the Dolphins. Last year with the Jets, they were the 31st-ranked offense, and then the team that he left, the Dolphins, were 25th. So they improved, even though they were rebuilding and and even attempting to tank. And then this year, the Jets are now dead last. They're they're ranked dead last statistically, and they look dead last when you watch them. Meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins, with a defensive-minded head coach and the Jets' former offensive coordinator in Chan Gailey and their former quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, they're ranked 12th right now. Not not that I'd I'd want either one of them back, Gailey or or Fitzpatrick, but it, it just shows how incompetently run the Jets are right now. 185 to 75. Incredible. 0-6, five blowouts, and really 
really hard to figure out where a win is coming from on this schedule or regardless of the schedule, because realistically, we don't know exactly for sure what teams the Jets are playing and and when they're playing them because COVID could change it at any point. But it, it really doesn't matter because they're at a disadvantage no matter who they're playing. There's a difference between being bad and being irrelevant. You can be bad and, and rebuilding and developing. We talked about it last week. Give us something to watch in terms of a young quarterback on the field, a young running back, a young defensive lineman, a young a young coach who looks like a leader. Some sort of hope that, yeah, I know the team's bad right now, but maybe there's a building block on the sidelines somewhere or on the field somewhere. The Jets have no building block right now. There's a difference between bad and being irrelevant. There's also a difference between being bad and embarrassing. And 185 to 75 is embarrassing. Are are guys in the locker room right now, is is anybody proud to be part of the New York Jets? Proud to be coached by Adam Gase? Players are embarrassed to be part of this mess. Some of it's on them, sure. Some of it's definitely on the players. But most of it's on the coach, the general manager, and ownership for building this team. And and that's why Le'Veon Bell was a disaster and wanted out. That's why Jamal Adams wanted out. Now Steve McClendon was the next domino to fall. McClendon spent five or six years in in Pittsburgh before coming to the Jets. So he knew what it was like to win, to be with a winning and successful organization. And half his career was wasted on a lot of really, really bad teams in New York. So it's it's good for him that he gets to go to Tampa now at the age of 34, where he's going to have a chance to win and a chance to compete, play for Todd Bowles again. A guy that was a good locker room presence. He he deserves that opportunity to to win near the end of his career. I'm sure they'll also look to to move Frank Gore in the coming weeks as the trade deadline approaches on election day, November third. They might look to deal Jameson Crowder, one of the only competent offensive players that are on this team. Not that he's a building block, but he's a, he's a competent, very solid wide receiver. And then personally, I, I'd like to keep him. I'd like to keep at least one decent player on offense for when Sam Darnold is healthy and for whoever quarterbacks this team next year, whether that's Darnold or or Trevor Lawrence. And speaking of quarterbacks, why do we need to watch Joe Flacco for four quarters in a 24-0 shutout loss? Why Why was James Morgan, the rookie, not active? And why was Mike White, if he's on this team, if he is active and he's on the sideline, why was he not getting a chance? Not, not that I personally have any confidence that either one of them is going to have the potential to be anything special in this league, and, and nor should you have that confidence, but 0-6, down 24 nothing, the unknown is a little bit more exciting, a little bit more intriguing. Just putting somebody else out there that's different than what we already know Joe Flacco is at least makes the game a little more interesting. But instead... We have Joe Flacco throwing the ball 44 times in a shutout. I would have, I would have rather seen LaMichael Pirine run the ball 44 times in that game. He got seven touches, by the way. The one bright side that we said about releasing Bell was maybe Pirine would get an opportunity, and I know he was a little bit banged up against the Dolphins, but that's not even the excuse, the, the, the reasoning that Adam Gase gave us to why he didn't play more, why he didn't get more opportunities. 
Gase blamed it on P. Ryan's body language. He, he didn't want to ruin his confidence after P. Ryan had a drop. Personally, I'd be more concerned about ruining his confidence by saying the team's 0-6. They are the worst offense in the league. You're getting shut out, and we'd rather use a historically old running back instead of you. That can't bode well for his confidence. And mark it down. On first down, Gase is going to the running back. Either a run play or a short pass, but almost every time on first down, he's going to the running back. Again, just a a brutal display of creativity from Gase's ability to operate this offense, from Gase's ability to play call. And it continues to be predictable, continues to show no ability to adapt, continues to be hopeless and inept. And not that they even had that many first downs to work with because it wasn't until the fourth quarter 10 minutes and 39 seconds left in the game that the New York Jets converted on their first third down. In, in, incredible 0-19 before that on third down. They finally convert on their 20th third down attempt. And then on the 21st third down attempt, Joe Flacco takes a 28-yard sack. I mean, it, it's tough to imagine how bad they're going to play week after week. How inept the offense is going to look week after week. And with Bell gone, McClendon gone, full tank mode being engaged by Joe Douglas right now, could you imagine if Jamal Adams was still on this team? Adams was getting antsy last season. Imagine if he was on this team right now. A second embarrassing year with with Adam Gase as the head coach, and Adams was still playing without a contract, the the trouble, the distraction, and division that he would be creating in the locker room would have forced Douglas to deal him right now. And then he'd be working at a complete disadvantage in trying to find a trade suitor. Douglas got a good haul for Adams in the offseason, and I thought it was kind of a bit of a sign that he was giving up on the season before it even started. And I think that's been pretty much vindicated. I currently have very little confidence that Douglas is going to be able to turn that haul from Seattle into anything formidable, but he at least deserves credit for trading Adams while he still had leverage because if he held on to him, he'd be dealing at an absolute discount right now. And a lot of us were upset to see Adams go, and rightfully so, because he is one of the most talented defensive players in the NFL. But what was he going to be doing to help this team right now? Nothing. Let's take a quick break on the Brandon Contest Jets podcast back after this. Marcus May's butt interception got a lot of attention on Sunday against the Dolphins. The play was a a bit of a social media darling because, of course, anytime anyone gets any opportunity to mention the butt fumble in Mark Sanchez, they jump all over it. Low-hanging fruit. I, I try to avoid the obvious joke, be a little more creative. Butt fumble jokes are we'll say on the same level of creativity as Adam Gase's play calling. I've always personally, I've felt that the butt fumble was one of the most overrated, embarrassing moments in sports anyway. Like it was embarrassing, but there's worse. (laughs) I didn't think it was something that needs to be rehashed as, as much and as often as it is laughed at as much as it is. And maybe I'm a little bitter but I was much more bothered by the score in that game, 35-3 at halftime, 49-19 final to the Patriots on that Thanksgiving night. I was more embarrassed by that than I was Mark Sanchez bumping into Brandon Moore. So thank you, though, Marcus May, who who probably thought that he made this miraculous catch at the time 
but it just forced us all to, to relive the butt fumble. And now we have Marcus May's butt pick to go with the butt fumble. Pick with a CK, not not a not a not a pick PIC. Interception pick, not a not a booty pick from Marcus May. And speaking of the Patriots, and this actually this goes for any game that the Jets are involved in right now with with Flacco under center. But without stud quarterbacks in the game, the intrigue just isn't there in the NFL. It, it just shows you how important, how necessary quarterbacks are. Obviously, if you have money on the game, if you have fantasy implications, if you have rooting interest of the team, you're interested. But Patriots-Broncos played at 1 p.m. Sunday afternoon and a, a rather dull game on the schedule in 2020. But think of the, the height that it had in 2015, Brady versus Manning. And it just shows you without star quarterbacks who are still able to play at a high level, there just there just isn't much juice for the matchup. And, and right now, I don't know what Cam Newton is quite yet for New England. He's had a couple of flashes. He's missed some time. I don't know if he has enough left to be consistently good, though. 49ers-Rams last night, same thing, no juice. Bucks-Packers, a lot of juice. And I'm starting to think that maybe I was wrong about Tom Brady. I thought New England would be fine without him. And that he'd struggle without New England. Six weeks in, though, and that's not the case. Brady still has a, a lot left. And while I, I wouldn't count Belichick out yet, the, the Patriots have some serious weaknesses and, and liabilities right now. The Jets don't play New England until November 9th. So they, they have the Bills and the Chiefs up first. And the Chiefs is going to be a disaster. A bloodbath. I mean, the, the Cardinals didn't play great last week against the Jets. The Dolphins didn't play great this week. Yet both of those games ended up being 20-point losses for the Jets. So the spread on the Chiefs game will have to be over 20. I'd be shocked if the Jets aren't at least 20-point underdogs going into that game in a couple of weeks against Kansas City. Although I guess there's there's no guarantee that that's how the schedule is actually going to end up playing out. I mean, they, they were supposed to play the Chargers this week. Instead, it was the Dolphins because of the COVID shuffle. Credit the NFL, though, for doing that for its schedule fluidity and a, ability to adjust on the fly, something that Roger Goodell is apparently much better at than Adam Gase. And I, I think the the adjustments will continue all the way to the Super Bowl. There have already been so many positive tests throughout the league that there's going to be more game postponements. I don't think those are over. And I think the league realizes that. They're going to have to add a couple of regular season weeks on at the end to make sure you get everything in. Uh, push the playoffs back a little bit. Push the Super Bowl back a little bit, whether it's to President's Weekend or or even further back than that. But I, I do expect that to happen. The question is, will Adam Gase still be the head coach in the Kansas City Chiefs game whenever they play them? Will Gase still be the head coach tomorrow? I'm, I'm recording this late Sunday night, but I expect Gase to be the head coach of this team against the Bills next week and against the Chiefs the week after. I just I just don't see much value in firing him right now. As bad as they are, as bad as he is, as much as we know he's not the head coach of the future and he's not doing this team any good, I just don't know where the value is in promoting an assistant to become the head coach to finish out the season. The only time it makes sense is once you start your coaching search for next year. So if you want to fire him late November into December so you could get a leg up on some other teams that are, that are going to be firing their head coaches going into the offseason, you want to start maybe interviewing some guys that are, are free agents, and you want to start putting out feelers to some coordinators to see if they'd be interested in 
and see uh, see who you could potentially hire, then that's fine. But to do it in October, I just don't see the value. And I 100% do not want Greg Williams coaching his team. And I know he's he's almost half a head coach because Gase has nothing to do with half the team. And you see Brian Flores with the Dolphins, by the way. He, he coaches the team. He acts like a head coach on the sideline, regardless if the defense or the offense is on the field. He's engaged. He's a leader. He's a talent evaluator. He was a defensive coordinator with the Patriots, but you could tell he has his hand in everything with Miami. And why do the Jets keep hiring these unilateral head coaches, Rex Ryan, Todd Bowles, Adam Gase? They focus on their half of the team, and that's it. Their side of the ball, and that's it. And then it gives Greg Williams the right to speak out and complain about the offense a bit because he does have that type of power in the organization. And I think the tension between Williams and Gase right now, considering where the team is, considering their stubborn personalities, it was so predictable that it was going to happen. So predictable. Williams took a mild shot at Gase in noting that the offense isn't helping him out, helping out with time of possession or field position to give the defense a rest and set them up for success. Should he have said it? Should he have complained publicly to the media? Probably not. But what he said wasn't wrong. His complaints were valid. And then Gase both said that he he wasn't happy with it. He wasn't happy with Greg Williams' comments, but he also said that he has he has no problems with Williams. And I actually, I, I had a, a an issue with Gase's other comment. What did he say exactly after the game? He said, me and Greg talk so much, we talk through a lot of things, not just football. The majority of time, we're exactly thinking the same thing, end quote. And if that's true, I think it's terrible. The part where he, he says that they're usually thinking the exact same thing. And, and, and touting that as if that's a, a good thing. Because one of the worst phrases ever is the idea that great minds think alike. And the idea that it would be a good thing if great minds think alike. Great minds think differently. They should think differently. Diversity of thought is a necessity. Whether we're talking about on the football field, the basketball court, in society and government, with big tech companies. Diversity of thought leads to new ideas and progress. And that's necessary. Now, there are underlying morals and principles that should supersede diversity of thought and some decision-making. But for the most part, I don't want great minds thinking alike. Differences, debate, creativity, it all aids the growth and evolution that is necessary in any walk of life. And I would hope Adam Gase realizes that. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast. And as always, be good.